If you could have a conversation with anyone in history, what would you ask them? Hello, General Washington. Good day, Miss Tubman. I had to know, so I decided let's give him a call. Welcome, Welcome to the, the Calling, Calling History, History Podcast. I'm Tony Dean, and today we'll be calling history to speak with Rebecca Nurse. She'll be answering our call on July 18th, 1692, at the age of 71. On this day, she is in prison and will be hung tomorrow with four victims of the Salem witch trials. If you've seen The Crucible with Daniel Day-Lewis and heard his impassioned speech where he sacrifices his life for his name and his reputation, you might think that the trials were not real and perhaps this is just some modern mythology that made for a good movie. Yet, the witch trials of 1692 were very real and resulted in at least 19 deaths. The hysteria spread to villages and towns nearby, and before long, there were witches everywhere. But how did this start, and what caused the contagion to spread so quickly and out of control? It all started with a child that was not well, and then a doctor claiming that It was witchcraft. And then a 12-year-old made an accusation. The magistrate, for some reason, believed the spectral evidence from this preteen. And before long, older women were being strung up from the gallows and men were being crushed to death with giant stones. Rebecca Nurse was one of the first to be hung. And in this episode, you'll learn who she was and what it was like living in this time knowing that at any moment and for any reason, If someone said you were a witch, your life was over. Ladies and gentlemen, fellow history lovers, and white healers everywhere, I give you Rebecca Nurse. Hello, is that you, Goody Rebecca? Yes, it is, kind sir. Hello, ma'am. I am so thankful to speak with you on this solemn day. My name is Tony Dean, and I'm talking to you from the future in the 21st century. The device that you're holding in your hand is called a smartphone, and it allows us to speak as if we were in the same room with one another. It also allows me to share a record of our conversation with people around the world so that they can understand more clearly what is happening in your time. I was hoping I could ask you some questions today, but before I do, I understand this is a strange introduction at a strange time. Can I answer any questions you may have first? Sir, I do not understand this contrivance of which you speak. But I shall trust in your judgment, and indeed it is a most difficult and painful day for me. I understand that at this moment right now, you're in prison waiting to be hung. Is that correct? Yes, sir. At this time, I am indeed imprisoned in His Majesty's colony of Salem, Massachusetts. What a most trying time for me, and especially for my dearest husband, Francis Nurse. I have been charged with the most heinous crimes of witchcraft. How is your husband Francis dealing with this? Oh, it has been most difficult for him. We have been together these past many years. And I I gave life birth to 11 children. And we raised up eight of those children together. And now I sit and watch. And wait, and I wish you to know at this time that I most assuredly am innocent of these indecent accusations. 
I am as innocent as the babe unborn. It is most difficult and painful. If I could only tell you the story of what has happened here in these past months, good sir, if you are willing to understand and to listen to what has happened to all of those who have suffered so greatly. I would love to hear that story because I've read quite a bit about your life and nothing in your life would lead a sensible person to believe that you're a witch. Oh, I am indeed no such beastly, foul creature as a witch. I, I have been a good wife. I have raised my children up. I have attended the meeting house on Sabbath days. I have never said an unkind word nor been cruel to even a beast. And here I sit accused. These times are most difficult. And I have been the victim of such evil persecution. These cries, oh, they have fallen on deaf ears, kind sir. Fallen on deaf ears. I'm here to listen right now. Tell me how all of this started. Oh, <laughs> oh, it started, I, I suppose, perhaps most innocently in that bleak winter in February of the year of our Lord, 1692. It started, I believe, in the home of the Reverend Samuel Paris. He and his good wife, Elizabeth, had recently returned from missionary work, and also they are involved in the trade of slaves from the Isle of Barbados. And with him, the good reverend brought a creature by the name of Tituba. <laughs> she was a woman of mixed race, brought here to Salem by the good reverend Samuel Paris. She was to look after his little daughter, Betty, and her cousin, Abigail. Oh, this miserable creature with her brown skin, her hair curled upon her head, tied with evil scarves of red and green and yellow upon her skirts. She had sewn bells and coins to attract the demons themselves. Oh, in that dark winter, that bleak cold, she began to tell these children of her time in the islands, telling them of great trees that could grow to mighty heights in the matter of months, strange animals of flowers that would bloom only at night. She began to tell these children these stories, and soon there would be oh, 19 young girls at the feet of the creature. She began to tell the children of white magic, black magic, of voodoo. She proclaimed that she could see the future. She would crack a fresh hen's egg into a vial of vinegar, Swirling it over the fire, she enticed the children, come forth, my dears, <laughs> and you shall see your husband's yet to be. And she 
call to her husband, a man has been known in the colony as Indian John. He is of English birth. He has lived many years with the savage Indians in the dark forest, but he has become aligned with this demon, this creature, Kichuba. Oh, that she had never darkened the door of the good reverend's home. I do not know if you have understanding that these children began to have fits, throwing themselves into the fire, claiming to be bitten and afflicted by unseen forces. They told of visions in which persons would disguise themselves as birds, dogs, cats, enticing these children to join the Prince of Darkness. Are you talking about Reverend Paris's children were doing this? Yes, his little daughter, Betty, and her 11-year-old cousin, Abigail. And more and more children became attached to this beastly Tichuba. Tichuba claimed to have seen the devil's own book upon which were written several names of those who had joined this evil one, written in their own blood. I have been questioned again and again, and I know nothing of this book, kind sir. I have never placed my name among these evildoers. I have never placed my name upon that book. I do not know in truth whether Tichubus was the start of the rumors of this infestation of witches here in Salem. But I do know indeed the children suffered from this possession while in her company. And so, <laughs> in that bleakness of a cold winter, would begin the accusations. Tichuba didn't actually accuse you, though, is that correct? No, kind sir. No, my chief accuser was a young woman by the name of Anne Putnam. Junior, there are times in the past when my own family, the town family, the family of my birth, and the Putnams have been at odds with one another. There have been suits in the courts concerning transgressions, but nothing would determine that I am a witch and be accused by this young woman. It was in March. Of this year, our Lord of 1692, in which I would first be arrested after the accusations from Anne Putnam Jr. and others. There are other young girls involved who would speak these obscenities. And kind sir, I beg your indulgence. I am innocent. I am innocent of all these charges. What is the proof that they have that would allow them to accuse you of being a witch? What have you done? What would give anybody any idea that you would be involved in witchcraft in any way? Or are you not involved in the church? Do you cast spells? Why would they say this? Oh, kind sir, I have been a faithful member. I have attended the meeting house regularly on the Sabbath. You see, my family and their origins in England, my parents were what was termed dissidents. 
they did not abide with the rules of the Church of England, and this would force them to leave the place of my birth in Greater Yarmouth and East Anglia. My parents were considered unfit because they did not abide by the sovereign's religious belief. My parents were what many terms uh, Puritans. They wanted to purify the church. They wanted to remove the accoutrements, the decorations of foul statues, the idolatry within the church and purify it so that one could concentrate on the true word of God during those sermons rather than to be distracted by these obscenities within the church. At one point, they were finally listed as being dissidents and that they should be removed. It was suggested by the sovereign and the bishops that persons such as my mother and father should leave England. One could go and find solace in the savage area of, of, of Ireland, the beastly savages in Northern Ireland, or they could come to the New World. The choice was made to emigrate to Massachusetts. For you see, the Southern colonies are in the hold to this very day. They are held by the bishops of the Church of England. They are not Puritans. They do not purify the worship in the meeting house. But I, kind sir, have been faithful to that Puritan ideal, and I shall continue to my very last breath to assert that I indeed have been faithful to it. My parents settled in Salem, Massachusetts, in His Majesty's Royal Colony. They had a farm near the Endicott River. And it was there that I would meet my future husband, Francis Ness. You see, one of my relatives in England had been accused of preaching on the streets. A woman by the name of Buxton, she was a distant cousin, far removed, often speaking in public, naked, to show her faith that she was pure in her thoughts. She was accused of being a Quaker, and she was executed in England. And I, sir, shall suffer that same fate on the morrow. Is this common in your time in 1692, where people are executed for re religious reasons? I mean, obviously what's happening in Salem right now, but is this, does this happen throughout the new colonies and throughout England, for that matter? Oh, most assuredly. There was much dissidence in England, as I reported to you, that my own parents were informed that they would be heavily fined, imprisoned, or even executed if they did not conform to the teachings of the Church of England. And they could not, within their hearts, within their faith, they could not conform to this. You see, these were difficult times in England starvation and poverty. There was a loss of land. The landowners could no longer support the tenant farmers, of, of which my mother and father were among these. They could not support them because of the taxes levied upon them by the crown. 
And so people were destitute. Poverty was rampant among the peoples in Greater Yarmouth. And there was fear that any moment they may be arrested and imprisoned because of their faith, because of their belief. And you must also understand there were, what is the term, superstition among the populace. Many superstitions held to this day. I was taught at my mother's knee hearing the stories of the fishwives as my mother waited to be presented with a, a haddock when one was available from the fishermen. And these, these old wives would tell these stories of the great shuck, the great black shuck, the story of an enormous black devil dog with blazing red eyes who would come up from the sea, raiding the towns, killing residents of the cities of the towns, bringing plague and disease. There were hard times. Many of the people were reduced to eating dogs to keep themselves alive. Some rats were even roasted upon the fire. It was because we were dissidents. We did not adhere to the sovereign's direction, and we were condemned. We sought freedom here in Massachusetts. When you arrived in Massachusetts, did you find that freedom initially? Because it sounds like what you're dealing with now is not much more pleasant than, than what you were dealing with there. We, we came here to Salem in the year 1635. I was a mere child, a young girl, 14 years of age and we found land. We were able to secure a piece of land to farm on the Endicott River. This was our freedom. We found ourselves with like-minded persons, but those old superstitions, those old fears, would be transplanted to this new world, and we would suffer for those who still held those superstitions. There are witches among us. There are those who would do us harm. There are those who indeed have signed the devil's book. That is a belief that my family, those I have lived with my entire 71 years of life, one cannot simply shed these beliefs that are taught to one from the time of their first hearing, the time of their infancy, we are taught that these traditions, these superstitions, that evil is abound us, waiting to snatch us to the dark side. With all of these superstitions and these beliefs that there are witches and there is evil and the devil's book and all of this is happening, when Reverend Paris comes back from Barbados with Tichuba, and she's covered in all this different clothing, and she's got bells and coins tied to her. Wouldn't he immediately look at that and say, this is dangerous? I don't believe he saw her as dangerous. She is a slave. She is under the control of her master. 
the reverend in Paris. I do not believe he saw her as dangerous. I do not think he had the understanding that he was bringing this demon under his own roof. I do not believe he understood that. And perhaps he wished to deny it. He wished to set it aside, to turn his back, that she was not a danger. And yet the children were afflicted. There were physicians here who were brought in from Beverly, from Andover, from the Boston town, and they could find no meaning, no reasoning for the illness of these children. And that is when it was recognized that indeed witchcraft was afoot within this colony. And Reverend Paris felt it needed to be stamped out, but he alone cannot do it. He did not have that authority. That authority would come from the magistrates, from the governor of the colony. And it was that decision that was eventually made to open a court of Oye and Determina. Perhaps you have not heard these words. I actually have heard these words, but I would very much appreciate you explaining for people that are listening what that means. A court of Oyer and Determiner, which is a meaning of to hear, to determine, and understand. A court of hearing, when persons will be brought in before the magistrates, before a jury, and they will be questioned, and answers will be put down so that the magistrates may make a decision as to whether they are indeed truthful and whether indeed they are witches so it's the court of oye and determina and my question is is that these are magistrates that are experts in the law and the legal system it seems to me that a job of witchcraft should have something to do with people of the cloth perhaps the reverend would be the most qualified or somebody from from that profession is that not correct you must understand that the study of divinity and the study of the law are intertwined they are one and the same for you must recall that the head the leader of the church of england is the king the arbiter of all law and the Parliament, the arbiter of all laws of English life, of English common law. And these are intertwined. They are one in the same. When you are brought before these magistrates to question your behavior, to question your faith, and it is one in the same, the law and the study of divinity. You must understand it is one in the same. I see. So tell me about this court. I understand several people were questioned vigorously before you, but you were also questioned by this court. Could you tell me what that, what that looked like? Oh, it was most frightening. I shall always remember a wicked day in March. I had been taken to my bed for several days and was still very weak from an ailment. 
and upon that morning came the marshal. He had been given the authority by the magistrate. He came to the door of my home, his black staff in hand. He had the warrant for my arrest within hand. I was placed in manacles and shackles, and I was taken to a jail. Day after day, I would be brought before this tribunal, and the questions were relentless. I was summoned up from that fetid jail to be questioned. My main accuser, Anne Putnam Jr., she claimed I had appealed to her, disguised as an hour, but that she recognized my face. As I stood to, in that docket to be questioned, the children would scream and quake at the sight of me. It was claimed that I had poisoned a neighbor's cow by merely touching the animal. I would never harm a dead creature. I never testified that I had poisoned a wolf by twisting a double therein. I was questioned the stories of night flights that I had been seen by witnesses flying on across the countryside. The judges you see had made the decision to accept spectral evidence. No proof of guilt was actually needed. Only the testimony of those who claimed to have seen spectres, to have seen me appearing at night to seduce these young children. I had no understanding of this. Oh, you see, I feared the tortures that might, might be I cannot even speak of them. They were so tantamount of fear within my heart. I was stripped of all of my clothing before the magistrates. My hair was shorn, and there I was to be examined for the witch's mark. To be clear, they shaved your hair, stripped yes. you naked. Yes, kind sir. And you are, can I ask how old you are right now, ma'am? 71 years long. 71 years. Okay. So so they've stripped you down and they're looking for the witch's mark. Yes, sir. It is a mark that would be placed upon the body by the devil himself to mark you as his own. I was pricked by pins and needles. If I were to cry out in pain or I was to bleed, then the mark was not the witch's mark. But if some mere speck was found upon my body and I did not cry out or it did not bleed, then most assuredly I, I indeed was marked by the devil himself. I feared so greatly. I had seen and I had heard the rumors of being swimmed, I feared so greatly that I could not speak these untruths. I was not and am not to this day of itch to be swimmed. This would mean that I would be tied to a chair. My arms, my limbs would be tethered, a sack tied over one's head, and you would be thrown into the river. If you think, then you are indeed innocent, but you have drowned, and you are very dead. 
If you float upon the water, you are guilty. Where water is believed to be pure and will reject all evil, but then you would be executed. So once that challenge was going to happen as to whether or not you were a witch, you were going to die either way. Yes, kind sir. I feared so greatly. I feared so greatly, but I could not speak these untruths. I could. It was blasphemy. I knew nothing. I knew nothing of these accusations. So when they're asking you to speak these untruths, what specifically do they want you to say? The questions were such as that I had been accused of dancing naked upon a hillside in the light of the moon, and I responded to that accusation that, oh, kind sir, I am of advanced years. I am weak and feeble. I could no sooner walk upon that hillside than to dance upon it. But they were relentless. They would ask the question over and over again, shouting, Good Rebecca, do you deny that you have poisoned the neighbor's cow by merely touch? Have you appeared to these children in guises? And I would respond, I knew nothing of these accusations. I was not alone in these accusations. Sarah Good, a woman who had borne 13 children, was accused of witchcraft. She had become a nuisance to her neighbors. She begged upon doorsteps. She was accused, and she was questioned. And her four-year-old daughter, little Dorcas Good, the babe could not sleep, nor could she eat without the company of her mother. And in that little child's mind, she went before the magistrates, and she confessed to the practice of witchcraft. The tiny child was imprisoned with her mother, bound hand and foot, chained to the wall. But the manacles, the shackles proved too large for the babe's tiny limbs, and so a blacksmith was called in that he might fashion tiny manacles and shackles to tether the babe to the wall. She showed a tiny speck upon her little finger, saying that this was a tit upon which a familiar would suck. It was no larger than the bite of a flea, but she admitted that she practiced witchcraft with her mother. Little Dorcas Good starved to death alongside me in that prison. This is the result of these accusations, this spectral evidence of witchcraft. I'm trying to understand because as I look at who's accusing who, you're talking about a four-year-old child admitting that she is a witch and that she practices with her mother. And then if we go back and we look at the person who accused you, which is Ann Putnam Jr., Ann Putnam Jr. accused all kinds of women that they were witches, and she was 12 years old. Why in God's creation 
would all of these adults take the word of a four-year-old and a 12-year-old over somebody with wisdom that has shown her merit in the community? Why would they not take your word over theirs? I believe there were old hurts, old arguments that existed. And sometimes they rise up and take hold of one's judgment. But you must understand that it seems that fear had seeped into everyone within the, the communities which I lived. For you see, there is Salem Village and there is Salem Town. And these two Salems have been at odds for several years. The old hurts, land arguments. Even my own family, having been involved in these lawsuits, bringing their neighbors to court over the fact that a pig had rooted up my garden. The Putnams have long been an enemy to the town and to the nurse families. These old hearts, these old wounds rise up and Again, the superstition, the long-held beliefs in witchcraft and the deviltry in evil would rise up and take hold of everyone. It seemed not a soul was safe, and perhaps rightly or wrongly I have been accused, but I assure you, I am not a witch. I absolutely believe that you are not a witch, and I'm wondering, as you talk about the this rivalry between Salem Village and Salem Town, is, is it possible that none of the people that have been accused are witches, and in fact, a rivalry of people with old grievances against one another, trying to get an advantage over one another or, or cause the other one some sort of trouble and that there's possibly no witchcraft at all? Is that possible? I, I believe within my heart, within my very soul, that there is witchcraft afoot. But one must always be wary, always be watchful, that one will not be taken by the devil himself. But it is up to each one of us that we... Make sure that our neighbors are safe, that those around us are not doing wrong, that they might endanger their very souls. They might endanger eternity. But I do think that in my own heart, the old grievances, the angers, perhaps have risen up again and will rise up over and over again over the years, perhaps never to be resolved. I do not know that Anne Putnam Jr. had any particular anger or hatred to me, but nonetheless, I think the child felt as though she should be part of this, that she could be heard by those who were in seats of power. For you see, for a woman in my lifetime, one does not speak readily in public. One does not argue with one another in public. And also, the anger, the hatred, the mistrust between the two Salems has been great over the years. For you see, those who went to live in the village of Salem, which is uh, inland, 
farther from the sea, they were two dissidents. For you see, they believed that the magistrates and those who were in power were becoming too liberal in their worship, too liberal in their philosophy of their religious beliefs. And so several decided that they would part from the larger town of Salem, going into the wilderness. They did not have the protection of the crown, for they had no charter. They suffered greatly. Poverty, difficulty with crops. The harvest had been poor for three years, and this caused a great deal of anger and envy between these two Stalems and between some of the residents who had particular grievances against one another and felt the only way to resolve these grievances was to bring these accusations forth. And some were just, I think, accused because they were disliked within the community. Bridget Bishop, she had been accused several times in years past and laughed at all of these accusations. <laughs> Sarah Osborne, a woman who had seen more than 80 summons, she too was a nuisance upon the village and the town of Salem, begging at their doorsteps for food, for warmth. She had married three times, and it was questioned as to whether the deaths of those husbands were due to her own witchcraft spells visited upon her husband's heads. Hatred, mistrust, envy, perhaps lust, they have all been part of this grievous time. When you mention Bridget Bishop, and she was the first person to be hung in Salem, was she 60 years old? Is that right? I believe that was perhaps her age. For many years, she had been a, a midwife and had come to many times having been accused of witchcraft in the past. Just three years before the trials of 1692, she had been before the magistrates and she laughed at their accusations. But unfortunately, they did not find humor in these last accusations and she was duly hanged. And that's why I'm asking, because she was 60 and then you said you're 71, you've now been accused. And then you have Elizabeth Howe is 57, and yes. Susanna Martin is 71, and Sarah Wilds is 65. My understanding is all of these people are scheduled to be hanged with you tomorrow. Is there a possibility that uh, these hangings and these accusations have something to do with age? It has much to do with the aged persons, and also they are women. And women of that age, we are disposable. We are no, of no use. I was raised up to believe that a woman's most worthy and most important goal was to raise it up children. At 71, I will no longer have children. 
I and these other women have become a drain on the food, on the fuel, on the wood to keep us warm in the winter. And perhaps that is one reason that the women are being, I shall use the word, sacrificed to cleanse all of the sins of both of these places, of the two Salems here in the, His Majesty's colony. Perhaps it will cleanse all of the sins away. This doesn't feel like witchcraft to me at all. This, this feels like revenge or perhaps, as you're describing, maybe even just culling the herd of, of those that take more than, than they give at, at this point in their life. I'm wondering if you think that after this, if there will be more hangings and if some of them will be men and possibly older men, what do you think will happen after the hangings that happen tomorrow? I think there will be. I think there will be more who will be hanged. It is not only the fact that we may be of an older years, that we have become a drain on the resources that we have, but also if we speak out, I must admit to you that I have spoken out in the meeting house, which is frowned upon for a woman, and this may have caused me to be placed in such a situation as I find myself now. If one speaks out and does not agree, with what is done, with what is happening, or they may not agree with the judgments that is upon their neighbor. They may feel that the judgment was incorrect or that the judgment should have been harsh. And this has come to light for one such gentleman who has had difficulties in the past, arguments with his neighbors, the Reverend Giles Corey. He too has been arrested. I know not what his fate will be, but I fear that there will be more. And I fear that we perhaps must simply abide, that it will be cleansed, and this fearsome deviltry will be cleansed from this place. I do believe there will be more. Rebecca Nurse was not a witch. She was an older woman with no power. That apparently was seen as having no further use in her time. In this next episode, we'll talk about Rebecca's sister who confessed under torture to being a witch and why they let her go instead of hanging her. We'll hear about her impressions of John Proctor, which was not what I expected at all. And she'll explain why her ability to heal others is not the act of a white witch. I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. If you haven't yet, subscribe now, and we'll see you at the next episode of the Calling History Podcast with part two of Rebecca Nurse.